Ready Pop Music Changing Lives. Welcome to the Ready Pop Music Changing Lives podcast. Uh, so we've got a couple of members of Team Ready Pop here. Um, I'm Gavin. I'm creative director. Uh, I've been involved in in Ready Pop since it began. Uh, setting up as a music charity, supporting local musicians, uh, local artists, um, and then developing the charity side of what we do, working with young people, uh, vulnerable people, and and helping to improve people's lives through music. Um, Pete, would you just like to give a little podcasty intro? Certainly. Hi, yeah, I'm Pete. I've been involved with Ready Pop for the last three or so years. Um, involved with the programming, the promoting, um, and various other bits and bobs, and also involved with other work with the charity as well. Cool. Yusuf. Hi, uh, I'm Yusef. I'm music program coordinator at Ready Pop. Uh, I joined the team relatively recently in 2019, um, and uh, I do a lot of the stuff to do with our music programs. So that's to do with artist development, um, to do with the festival itself, um, and um, a lot around um, kind of getting our word out um, through the community, both the music community and the, the local Reading and Berkshire music community as well. Cheers. Um, so today we, we're talking to, to David St. John and Satek. Uh, as as musicians that we're interested in, we're, we're interested in what you do, and I suppose we came to find you through searching for artists for um, Ready Pop Festival uh, in 2020. Uh, we were going to do a festival in 20. In fact, we did a virtual festival in 2020. I can't see. I'm going to put my. Um, oh, that's better. <laughs> I'm going to put my my um, looking at computer glasses on. Right, I can I can actually see your faces now. Um, so we found you when we were searching for artists for for the 2020 festival, um, and a lot's happened since then. Um, so uh, if I can go to you first, Dave. Um, just to. L- uh, what are you doing musically? What are you doing musically now? What's your? What, what you, I, I noticed you got a single out or a track yeah. out called Reckless. Yeah. Just been listening to that. So, oh yeah, the big yeah. old sound. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and I was watching a couple of your live videos as well on there. Um, the Information Age is the one really. That one That's it. Got yeah, that, that one got up. me nodding along. Yeah, we did that one quite a while ago now, um, maybe 2019. Um, is, the, is the guitarist on that track in Dupes? So uh, he actually couldn't make it to the studio uh, on the day that we recorded the Information Age, but he did, like he's part of the band, like he's at every gig and, um, at, well, every gig he can make it to. And, uh, and he does play the guitar on Reckless, the one that I released on New Year's Day. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah, and it was his sort of, um, like, he sort of worked out how to do the spacey intro live, um, just by using a ton of pedals and stuff. Yeah, I was watching, I was just watching the video and going, oh, should I recognise that guy? Yeah. Well, yeah, he's from Dupes, which is another local band, brilliant yeah. local band, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they played, they played at our, the last live festival mm. that we did. It was actually the year before, was 2018, it? He, they played, uh... yeah, yeah, they played in our Ready Pop 10. <laughs> Time flies. Great, though. Yeah, great band. 
Yeah. Oh, I've, I've been a huge fan. I've known Andy for years. I've mm. known Andy since uh, he was in another band called Paul Michael back in like 2010 oh, yeah. Yeah. or 2011 or something like that. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite old friends now, but it's only been in recent years that we've become close and actually started doing music together. Um, but yeah, always been a massive fan of his. And I, and I know this is a, a question all musicians hate, but but how do you describe your music? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is definitely influenced primarily by rock music, um, sort of uh, classic grunge and psychedelic rock. Um, I really uh, love traditional sounds, but I also um, really... I, 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 there is a lot of, uh, of aspects of modern rock that I, I, I enjoy as well. And it's really, yeah, there's a lot that I, I like. <laughs> I guess my music is kind of, um, I like it being playful but poignant. And um, I like I like it being heartfelt. I like, you know, whatever form that's in. But sound-wise, yeah, I just, I would call it rock. Alternative is such a broad term, but yeah mostly rock <laughs> yeah that most recent single as well has like such a huge huge sound to it it's mm. really like really uh, massive yeah thank you so much that we actually work with a new uh producer for that one a guy called john hux down in essex who uh who uh really helped kind of build that giant sound and obviously all of the guys in the band are like fantastic um yeah <laughs> so how um, does sorry go on how, how what was the process like of, of um, well creating and then putting out a single in a less than usual year? Yeah, oh, it was um, difficult, especially because um, throughout the whole of 2020, I've had quite poor health. So um, not anything COVID related; it was a separate issue. But um, I couldn't sing for like the whole of the summer, and I didn't actually realise how much my voice uh, or, or how much my sanity relied on on music and singing and and especially playing live like I still haven't played live since about this time last year um but uh so initially it was incredibly difficult because I couldn't even put any demos down physically um but uh as soon as I sort of my body started behaving I was able to um just record like vocals at home and, and sort of track ideas and send them via the internet to everybody because we couldn't obviously get in a room together to practice and the first time we actually did practice reckless was because we 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 recorded reckless and another song that's coming out in a few weeks or a few months well we have to do a video another song that's coming um uh at the same time so we recorded those two songs for john and it was the first time we met John and it was the first time we'd been in a room together for like six months and we just had to make we had to we just had to do it right the way that we wanted to record it it's really weird so we're all practicing it separately until that might, yeah that now. must be that must be <laughs> normally normally when you're in a band you're kind of living out of each other's pockets and see each yeah. other at the time so I can imagine that's quite adds a sort of intensity to the recording actually that kind mm. of the intensity of coming together in that way but then also needing to get it done yeah i mean we allowed ourselves plenty of time to do it um but it was very much and i think the lack of of doing anything helped definitely add to the energy of the song because we were so in it because we were so happy to be there and we were so happy to be doing something 
Um, so I think it can, yeah, it definitely comes across in the final product how happy we were to be being creative. So, uh, Saitek. Um, hello. Hello. <laughs> um, again, the, the the terrible question: How do you how do you how do you describe your music? Oh yeah, it's it's always a hard question, and especially in electronic music as well, because you know all the genres kind of overlap so much. But you know, um, yeah, I mean, basic. Basically, it's uh, you know house and techno, but um, you know it's live house and techno, so it's a bit different. Um, it, you know, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to describe, but you know, it, it's I, I take a lot of influence from you know the '90s stuff. Um, you know, uh, especially like the early kind of '90s uh, techno and uh, you know ambient movement and stuff like that, as well as uh, you know uh, Detroit and Chicago house. But also, it's kind of quite forward-facing as well because the way that I'm creating it and the way that I'm performing it is uh, quite unique. Cause it's a you know. There's not that many people doing live house and techno at the moment. Yeah, I watched one of your um, uh, YouTube videos, um, and I really like electronica and like making music with little boxes. <laughs> several of them. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah, there's one. <laughs> I'm surrounded by them at the moment. Oh, hang on. I've accidentally... I've accidentally put your video on. Hang on. Um, so yeah, I was having a little geek out looking at um, all the boxes on your desk there, trying to work out what they were all doing. <laughs> so how much of you, what you're doing is is improvised, and how much of it is pre-planned? And well, <clears throat> I had this, yeah, I had this conversation with someone else. So um, you know, I like to write actual tunes. So a lot of it is kind of uh, you know stuff that I've written to work together, but all the arrangement, you know, all the the, the effects, all the tweaking is live. So you know, I'm, it's not like I'm pressing play. Everything. If I press play, then it would just loop round and round and round. So I'm kind of arranging everything live and creating stuff on the fly. Um, so uh, there's some improvisation as well on top of it. You know, so it's a. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think my sound lends itself. You know, I think if you're doing kind of really abstract stuff, um, and you're doing stuff where, you know, um, it, yeah, it's, it's more on the, you know, the, the side where, you know, things things can go off on a tangent and stuff. Then then purely improvising is a good thing. But I, you know, I like tunes. You know, I like tracks. So um, I'm basically I'm performing my tracks live with improvisation as well. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so so you know it's. It's kind of as a band would do, uh, really. You know, you've got your song, you're going to go out and play it, but you might do it slightly differently depending on who your crowd is. Or yeah, um, I think someone said, you know, um, you're, you're kind of composing stuff in, um, you know, all the like little boxes, and then you're you're kind of um, con like a conductor almost. You're telling what box to play when and, and what pattern to play when, and you're you're kind of doing all that kind of stuff live. Uh, as well as doing, you know, tweaking stuff and that kind of stuff as you go along. I had, I had the good fortune actually of seeing uh, seeing Satek play live um, just towards the end of 2019, uh, and that was in the Iguana Bar in Reading, which is I think like one of your kind of like one of your few very intimate shows um, mm. before kind of playing your big shows, you know, at the festivals and and out in Europe. And and I mean, I, I felt incredibly privileged because and you could really see from the vibe you had a combination of people who were absolutely loving and captivated by the actual live element of it and what you were doing with all of your tweakers and your, your you know your um 
all of your synths and your knobs and everything else, but you also had as many people behind who weren't, who were just purely in within the zone of the actual music itself. And I think that that for me is, is something brilliant about live electronic music mm. when you've got all of the elements, something for everyone, and it just, it just continues and works throughout. I mean, think, I think what matters at the end of the day is what's coming out of the speakers. You know, that, that's what matters. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you're playing it with electronic music. Um, so, you know, you could go in there and you could have all the kit in the world, but if your music's not getting people on the dance floor and going off, yeah. then, then there's no point in having it. So, you know, that, that's what I feel anyway. You know, I want to be able to stand up there and, you know, be, uh, you know, be able to take on the best DJs in the world with my, yeah. with my live show, if that makes sense. How does how does playing somewhere like the Iguana Bar in terms of how you pitch it um, differ from say doing Creamfields or or any other big European? Well, the whole story behind the Iguana Bar, right? Is that um, I'm originally <laughs> I'm I'm originally from Reading, right? And I moved out of you know when I when you know in the nineties Reading was amazing for electric. <laughs> well, I mean there's loads of drum bass here and stuff like that, which is great and the student nights and that kind of stuff. But in the 90s, we had Checkpoint Charlie, we had clubs like the Holy Rooms, we had all that kind of stuff. The house and techno scene was absolutely buzzing. Um, and then I moved to London for 20 years. I moved back and I couldn't really see a house and techno scene here at all. So when I moved back, one of the things that I was determined to do was kind of grow the scene um, back here. Um, and you know that's why uh, you know I got in contact with you, man. Uh, you know, and yeah. I was speaking, I was speaking to speaking to you about mm. it, and and so I was like, right, you know, I'm not. This is not about doing stuff for the money. I'm, you know, or anything like that. I'm growing this from scratch, um, and that's what I did. That's why I picked the iguana bar, like 80 capacity. Um, I was like, well, let's do a super small night um, and start growing something. And and we were well on our way to growing something really special in in. Uh, in Reading again, you came to the night, didn't you? And, and I did, it, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was like a proper vibe, underground, um, you know, uh, really good atmosphere in there and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and then obviously the pandemic came and that, that put, an end to, <laughs> put an end to all that. Yeah. Um, so so that, that that's really where the whole, uh, you know, Iguana Bar came from. So, you know, for me, it was it was doing, playing the, doing the Iguana was something very sentimental to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for me, you know, I say people always ask me, oh, you know, you play it, you play it, you know, the biggest festivals, you play at the best clubs. Um, and I say, put me in front of a crowd. It can be 100 people. It can be, you know, 2000 people um, with a, a half decent sound system. If the people are into that kind of music and the atmosphere is good, then I'm happy, basically. Uh, that's that's what matters. Um, so we we call our um podcast music changing lives and it's our kind of tagline as a charity so that's kind of led me to a question i'd like to ask both of you really which is how has music changed your life yeah. oh. who's um, gonna go first <laughs> would you like to go first Satan? yeah i'll go first okay so to be yeah you know perfectly honest in the first you know it, uh, you know I, I don't really um make uh, you know, you know, I, I'm I'm quite open about talking about the fact that I'm a recovering addict. You know, I've been uh, clean for 12 years now. Um, so I think in the first instance, um, you know, I I preferred, you know, I loved music. That was, a, you know, before I discovered drugs or anything like that. I loved music, absolutely loved music. And then I think, you know, with the whole rave scene and the techno scene, it kind of, you know, maybe not music itself, but you know, that in some ways was, you know, part of uh, my downfall. <laughs> Um, but you know, coming into recovery, music is 
um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's one of my main reasons for living. Obviously, I've got a beautiful family now, but you know, my passion is music. So, you know, it's changed. You know, I don't think I. You know, I think music has been such a, a strong force through the darkest periods of my life, um, and, and it's helped me, you know, get through those, those points of life. And it's also it's kind of a therapy for me. Making music is something that I do. Um, you know, at these times, you know, it's hard for me. I, you know, I was at the point of my career where I was, um, you know, I was having the best gigs of my life. I had my diary in 2020 was booked beyond, uh, you know, it, it was like my, all my dreams had basically come true. And then COVID came along, completely deleted all that. Um, and one thing I could do was make music. And that got me through it. You know, that fact that I could be in the studio every day making music, sharing it with people on social media. Um, so, you know, it's, it's such a big, it's such a big thing for me, you know, music. Changed my life amazingly. When you can do it. Dover, how's, how's music changed your life? Um, uh, well, Reckless is actually uh, about, about it. Um, how, so I've been, I've been working as an actor since I was a kid and you sort of grow up or at least I grew up with uh, this kind of um, narrative being pushed at me that, you know, in order to achieve, you know, the amount of success that you want to achieve as an actor, you have to commit 100% to acting. And if you've got any other passion, you just got to put it on the back burner, get to it eventually. But like, you know, my parents never pushed it, but my agents and my peers at the time did. And when you are a teenager, and, you know, I started writing songs when I was 15, but I was always too nervous to do anything with them because I didn't want to, like, affect my employability. I didn't want a casting director to sort of see what I was doing with my spare time and be like, oh, she's not committed. And there's, like, 10 other girls who would be more committed to the role, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so the whole don't change your appearance, look as young as you want, as, as young as you can, um, and, and only focus on one thing really affected my my mental health and I think is it what is it when you is it arrested development where you you don't really age out of a certain stage of your life or whatever but it, it definitely felt like I sort of it stunted my growth a bit so sort of hitting that stage of I'm just gonna release music and what whatever happens will happen um it felt like a very reckless move at the time and it actually ended up being the best thing I ever did because I sort of found myself and and I was sort of telling my own story through music rather than um, sort of fitting the mold of somebody else's story, which is what acting is. And I do enjoy it. I really love it. I still do it. Um, but it feels like music is who I am and I wouldn't have got that unless I'd pursued it, obviously. And, um, and just in terms of like health-wise, I have cystic fibrosis, so getting, um, I'm a, I mean, you know, if I look after myself, I'll be fine, but the prospect of one day not being able to sing is, is real. So I felt if I don't do it now, I won't, I won't do it. Mm. Um, so it means it's really significant for me because it kind of means my freedom. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's freedom for me, I guess. It's, it's interesting. I think for, for a lot of people who, who do music, who are musicians, 
a music thing that you're kind of compelled to do, that you have to do, um, and you're going to do it regardless of whether or not you're, you know, going to make a living out of it, whether or not you're going to be successful at it, and however perhaps other people see it, but it's a thing that you just have to do anyway. And then, yeah, it's it's it is a bit of a leap to go. Okay, well, I'm going to try and make this my main thing, mm. my the main part of my identity is a. I don't know if it's reckless. There are definitely safer options. Yeah, yeah. Personally, yeah. gotten myself a degree or anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely testament to kind of how how powerful it is as a force within people, though, because yeah, you know, you're so often told it's you know it's a hobby. Mm. You can't you can't transform into anything else, or you you are kind of. I think you know. I've definitely got friends who kind of think that I'm living in this like dream, eternal teenage land, because. But there's nothing I, wrong with no, that. There's no proper job yet. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. For all we know we get one life. Do we really want to spend it playing some game that's rigged against us? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that exactly. That is the power of it. You you yeah. you, you are compelled to do it, and you you know you. It, you see how much impact it has on people who, who who never give it a go and then get to middle age and think they should have given it a shot. Yeah. I was yeah. watching a, a documentary last night and uh, Moby, of all people, he was talking about music and its effect on people and saying it's just all it is is pressure waves in the air that hit your eardrum. That's all it is. And we turned it into this amazing thing. And when he was talking about it in that way, it kind of got me thinking. He was going, you know, if a lorry goes past on the road, all it's doing is moving the air and you hear that. And then, but, you know, music can elicit these emotions. Yeah. Um, but it's completely it's intangible. A, yeah. It's a I powerful do, thing, you know. And I think, I think um, you know, as artists, you have to, you know, so when you listen to music, it's purely ple- pleasure. But when you start becoming an artist, you, you're kind of, you're struggling to give other people pleasure if that makes sense you know and, and that becomes your your role is to you know um you know i've done loads of live streams during covid and i've had loads of people going oh your live streams have really helped me get through covid you know and, and the, the lockdown and you know so uh, you know i i really feel that as a as an artist it's kind of um our job to help other people get through uh, you know the tough times in life and that sometimes means that we put ourselves through you know that you know that's doing it doesn't matter what kind of art you do you know you're always going to put yourself through you know the mill a little bit once your, your work's out there you know the self the self-doubt creeps in all that kind of stuff you know so you kind of are I, I say art is therapeutic therapeutic and a great thing but it's not you know it's not always now, actually making the music itself is great fun but then actually turning that into finished music and then you know thinking about is it good enough and all that kind of stuff can can drive me insane yeah, I mean that's really hard work. That bit, mm. that bit, yeah. you know, the 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 bit of, uh, uh, and it's it's a role that, that we're looking at how, uh, as a music charity, how we can support people and and help to take on some of that hard work because, you know, yeah. the things that we're doing is we're working to help people develop their careers, do some you know artist development and talent development and what and what record labels used to call A and R, and. <laughs> And it's it's hard. You can you, there's so much you can do by yourself now. You can get so far to to a, a high quality finished sounding product. 
um, and then there are so many channels for releasing it and all those kind of things uh, but actually getting it to people's ears and getting people to respond to it that's really yeah. hard now I mean it's saturated and I think you know I've during Covid I started teaching people music production and how to perform live and stuff like that and I think you know one big thing that I get you know with electronic music is people are stuck in a room with their studio they're not in a band they're stuck in a studio and then you know it may, finishing a track may be easy as a as a band but as a producer you know these people get to the last part of the point and uh, of producing a track and the self-doubt really kicks in so I know people have got you know hundreds of unfinished tracks and that really kind of the reason it's not finished is not because they're not capable of finishing it but it's kind of the psychology of if they finish it they're going to have to show it to someone so um, you know there's a lot of kind of struggles there as well I think with my music I have to say it took me a lot of years to go past that barrier yeah. um, and then work with other people where you could like really sort of feed stuff backwards and forwards off each other yeah. and I think that, that when you're a solo artist I have to say I mean I doff my cap to people because it is you have to do that for yourself you know yeah, yeah you talk to other people obviously you can you get feedback from other artists that you respect and what have you but to actually be there and finally like you say make that final decision right this is what I'm happy with it it is ready to go out it's, it's a lot it's yeah a lot. Yeah, it's good to have people like yourself helping people who are producers to kind of you know, question the right things, but also be able to say, yep, this is good enough now. Right, mix master, off we go. Yeah, exactly. Get it out the door. Let yeah. the world decide. You know, I think the rejection is almost, you know, the, the pleasant bit nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the pain of waiting. That's the thing, you know. It's uh, labels, or I don't know if it's the same, but I'm sure it is in all genres. But, you know, the big dance music labels, you know, for example, I sent my, you know, I sent Cole Cox wanted the second album. I sent it in the tracks. It take him, took him like four or five months to even listen to it. You know, and I'm there, sitting there waiting for four, four or five months, you know, to... to for him to even listen to it and and then you have to wait another year for it to be released you know um that's why you know self-releasing is such a good idea i think you know and yeah. um, so we've got one other question which i'd like to share with everyone which is the flip side to how has music changed your life which both of you just touched on a bit already which is how has life changed your music <laughs> um particularly over the, the last year i'd say <laughs> Ava, you've already sort of touched on that a fair bit, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've, my life has, yeah, changed my music in that it's it's affected my productivity. Um, but also, I, I, I got quite a good job um, at the end of last year. So um, hopefully I will be able to churn out a lot more music this year. Because um, I, so I, I, I haven't... Job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I haven't got a lot out at the moment, but I'm hoping to change that. Um, but I just haven't been able to afford it. So I guess life has changed it um, in lots of ways, but more immediately in, uh, in uh, a, a productivity way, in a release schedule way. <laughs> so are you, are you um, a, a solo artist and then you're, you're, are you then funding a band and funding all the, the recordings and everything yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm independent. I don't even have a manager, um, though I am looking. <laughs> um but uh yeah so i i i sort of make i i bankroll you know um the, re the releases um yeah so quite thought, a lot of investment you know oh god yeah like easy. it's if yeah. i actually launched i launched a patreon um two years ago now 
and that's been exclusively um, paying for it. And, I, and it's only been because of, of the Patreon that I was able, able to release music. And I only got the Patreon because I um, did a, a video game. Uh, I voice acted a video game uh, about two and a half years ago. And a, and a couple people were like interested in music because I was talking about it on stream and stuff. And they were like, well, why don't you make it? It's like, because I can't afford it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I, um, I launched that. But hopefully a label will sweep in and save the day, <laughs> which I hate to say because I think labels are problematic and crappy, but um, yeah. I mean, it's they quite are bloody useful. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, uh, it's quite a, a good analogy using stuff like Patreon and stuff because it, mm. it is a regular story about amongst independent mm. publishing artists uh, of, of all genres and types really and, and it leads on to kind of what people are currently talking about streaming and stuff like that mm. and, uh, and actually where artists' money is meant to come from yeah and, it's and impossible i mean uh, you know i was quite lucky until you know the, the covid thing because i you know i was touring every weekend you know um so uh, and that's kind of that's just suddenly come to an end when, when you know with electronic especially electronic music when you're making underground house and techno records you know you're, you know it, it's never going to be a, a hit in the sense of a you know, a, a pop song or, you know, something like that. So, you know, you the, all, you know, 90%, you know, I had a quite a few, I was lucky to have quite a few publishing things which came through and stuff, but, you know, 80% of the, the income was, was touring, you know, and that's all be, that's all gone. Do you think, so, um, was that mostly European or was, or was it UK? Yeah, yeah, I mean, my, I think my sound works better, you know, I play in Germany more than I uh, played in London. Basically, or I played in Berlin, or yeah, I played in, mm. in Germany more than I played in the UK. Um, it's more of a niche sound, um, I suppose, in the UK. Um, there's, there is, you know, forms of uh, dance music which are far more popular in the, in the UK, but I'm, you know, I'm not really keen on that stuff. So the sound I make is kind of more, you know, the underground kind of a deeper, darker, slightly harder sound of, you know, techno, which is really popular in germany so i was, I was playing it yeah, I, there. you know it sounds like a berlin basement yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually that's the only reason you're actually haven't played not the in the world yet, war two so. sense yeah <laughs> yeah it's you know i played in berlin a lot you know and uh, you know that is and, and berlin is a massive inspiration for me that you know that town you know and uh, you know my agent from berlin you know uh, so yeah you know and it's not it's not something i never intended to make a Ber the berlin sound um, and I don't think it is really the Berlin sound. I just make the music I love, and it just so happens that you know the people in, in Berlin kind of are more into that. Do you think um, Brexit is going to have an effect on your touring? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I obviously um, I'm a Remainer for all that's worth <laughs> nowadays, you know, um, and you know there was a lot of fear about it, but you know when I actually uh, did a bit of research and you know there's a lot of people posting on Twitter about how artists um, are going to need visas and stuff actually most um, 
European countries have got a visa waiver for touring artists anyway. Mm. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a few where, you know, it's not 100% clear, but, you know, Germany, you know, if, you, if you're going to be there, I think it's less than uh, 90 days or you know, same thing. If you're going to be there less than 90 days in a, in a year, then you don't need a visa. Belgium or, you know, France, uh, Poland, Czech, you know, Czech, uh, Croatia, all places where I play uh, quite a lot. Um, uh, you, you don't need a visa. So I don't know how much of a difference it's actually going to make to me. Uh, obviously, nowhere near as much of a, as a difference as uh, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Does it make a difference to taking gear around, to moving equipment? That was the bit that I was worried Wait, about. So was... I think you may need a car, you may need a carnet or um, uh, or you know a list of all the equipment to take yeah. through customs. Um, but I mean, I think you know that's if you get caught. You know, I'm I'm more than happy just to you know carry because my stuff fits in a rucksack and it looks like a, a, a holiday bag. So I mean, the like chance a small bag. bomb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. We'll, we'll so, be I mean, passing yeah. this podcast on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I, used to, I used to tour with a band and carry electronic gear and get stopped at the airport quite a lot because they I mean, go through the X-ray and they'd go. Yeah, it has happened a few times, you know. Um, but now I get to the point where I've got this process where I've got my bag and I take everything out and put it out individually. So I've got it down to, and then they can see what it is then. But when I used to put the whole bag through, it, every time, it, you know, they'd take me to one side and go, what, what is this? What is going on here? <laughs> well, um, we're going to finish off our podcast by playing some of your music, so um, I guess we play Reckless.
Um, you could play uh, the. It depends how much you want to play, really. The uh, the solo song that I released before that was the Information Age. Um, and then I released uh, XV with my boyfriend, uh, Split the Dealer, uh, last February. Um, but those are the three most recent ones. And Information Age well, came we'll out at the end of 2019. We'll, <laughs> link, we'll link to them. We'll, we'll link to them and, and cool. try and feed people your way. And what, what should we be... Uh, pointing people towards for, for a good say tech listen sure uh, okay okay so yeah uh you've got, i think i sent uh uh pete my uh tracks record yeah. release Slightly more banging on Dr. Motta's. Uh, uh, he's the founder of Love Parade in Berlin, so that was his his 
Space Teddy label, which was around in the early 90s, but it's relaunched it. So that also um, got stuff coming out on RNS and and uh, signed another album to, to Carl Cox as well. So got quite a lot of stuff coming up um, and working on more as well. No, all I was going to say is it's actually uh, the, the guy from the parade. It's a reason that you haven't played Ready Pop Festival yet because it was his birthday where he booked you on the same yeah. weekend and that's why we couldn't make it happen. But yeah, we'll get there. It's going to happen. Yeah, wicked. <laughs> My words. Ready Pop. Music changing lives. <laughs>